Well, the question tonight is, are you building God's temple? And it's, uh, an, I think, an interesting question that uh, God puts forward to us. So many times what God does is tries to explain to us why we're here. And I think that's important because I think every human being in various times wonders, well, why are we here? What what are we doing here? What is our purpose? Why do we exist? And one of the the pictures that is given to us is as builders. And we see that uh, in Zechariah 5 and Zechariah 6. Now, uh, I, I want to give a little bit of a, of a assist, I guess, in this, that uh, these two chapters need to be held together, but by holding two large sections together, it can be a little tricky trying to keep in mind what these visions are doing, which finally build up to this grand finale of what this image is about. These visions in chapter 5 held by themselves don't really make a whole lot of sense until you bring it all the way to the end of chapter 6. So the reason why I say this is a little tricky for us is that you're going to be having to hold in your mind three visions and what they mean and then dump them into the last picture to understand what the whole thing was about. So you're on a journey with me tonight and that's what we're going to be looking at then. But ultimately this this picture of purpose is so important. Uh, one of the things that we, we see is that God always explains himself by saying, because I've done this for you, now here's what you are to be or here's what you are to do. We've seen that Frequently in, in, in Paul's letters where he will write in the first half of his letter will be explaining here's all the things that God has done for you or is going to do for you. And based on those things, here's who you are and here's who you need to be. You might remember that God even did that with Israel when God brings Israel out of Egypt into Mount Sinai. He says, now you see everything I did for you. Now follow me and obey me. I always find it interesting. God does not come to them in Egypt and say, here's my laws. If you keep them, I'll bring you out. God goes, I'm going to bring you out. And now that I brought you out, here's what I expect of you to do. The same thing's going to happen in these two verses of Zechariah, where God is going to now show, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm accomplishing for you. And by seeing those pictures, it will drive our purposes to why we would want to add this image as being temple builders for God. So what we're going to do in chapter five is we will go a, a little bit quicker in this section so that we can get to the conclusion that, that chapter six is bringing out. Chapter five, verse one of Zechariah, Zechariah five, verse one. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width 10 cubits. And then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side. And everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of a thief in a house of him who swears falsely by my name, and it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stones. All right. So first image, pretty strange, flying scroll. That's already strange enough. The size of it is also strange. You'll notice it's 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. That is a ridiculously large scroll. And then on top of it, it is unusual in the fact that most scrolls were not written on both sides. So you have a 13 foot by 15 foot 
written on both sides scroll flying that is pictured for you. And of course, thankfully, we have to find out, well, what does that mean? And the image that is given to us is pretty straightforward where God just simply says, those who are false in the land are going to be judged. Those who swear falsely, those who are liars, I'm going to deal with these people and they're going to be judged. And so a pronouncement of judgment upon those who are hypocritical, who are false, who are wicked. Hold that image. Now watch the next vision happen. Verse five. Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, lift your eyes and see what this is that is going out. And I said, what is it? And he said, this is the basket that is going out. And he said, this is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, a leaden cover was lifted and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. And then I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings and had wings like the wings of a stork. And it lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. And then I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they taking the basket? And he said to me, to the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. And you go, makes perfect sense. All right. Here's another strange vision that is, is added on here where now you see this flying basket that has a lead cover over it. They take the lead cover off. Out, you can almost, my visual is here is this woman's head kind of pops up and they go, oh, no, put that back on and put the lid back on. And, and, and so he's like, well, what is this all about? And the whole imagery is a portrayal of wickedness, that the wickedness that is in the land is going to be taken out of the land of Israel and taken back, it says, to Shinar, which would be the Babylon area. And the image that's already being portrayed to us here is God purging the sins that these people of Israel have adopted from the Babylonian practices. That's all going to get sent back to Babylon. I'm going to have a pure people who are not maintaining and keeping the practices that they'd learned in Babylon and in Persia, but rather that's going to be purged out of them and that wickedness is going to be sent away. So notice the culmination, the first picture, God's going to judge what is false. Second picture, purging wickedness from, from, <clears throat> from the people and it's going to be sent back to Babylon. Third image, chapter 6, verse 1, again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between the two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze, and the first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. And I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, these are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country and the white ones go after them and the dappled horses go toward the south country. And when the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, go patrol the earth. And so they patrolled the earth. And then he cried to me, behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. Again, perfectly clear, moving right along. You can understand the difficulties of what the imagery is getting at and why Zachariah says, 
Okay, now what's happening here? What's this image? Now, in this next image, you might see all these horses with all of these different, these colors, and they are pictured as patrolling the earth. You might remember them from chapter one. In chapter one, they patrolled the earth. They report back to God. And remember, they say, all is at rest and peace. And remember, that was not a good answer because the people of God want judgment and justice on Babylon. And when are you going to set us free? And when will there be judgment on the wicked? And so now you see these horses again, and they're presenting themselves before God. But this time you notice that God uses them and says, they're now, verse 5, going to go to the four winds of heaven after they've presented themselves. So two pictures are being brought out. First, God is fully aware of what is going on on the earth. And this is an important encouragement that he knows the wickedness, he knows what's false, he sees what's going on. And while the people of God may be discouraged that things aren't happening perhaps as fast as they want them to, God clearly sees and is going to ultimately bring about a judgment. In scripture, when you see things going to the four winds, you can just about always calculate a judgment's coming. It's used in Revelation that way. It's used in Jeremiah that way. It's used in Daniel that way. When we're going to the four winds of heaven or the four winds of earth, then we're talking about a judgment that is going to come upon, upon the land. And so now you're seeing God saying, okay, that judgment's going to be unleashed. Before those that patrolled the earth said, hey, all is at rest. Now God says, go to the four winds and bring about that judgment. Now, I would make an aside right here that there is encouragement if we had time to just do the whole lesson on just chapter five with that image right there. Because how often do we see wickedness, see all the bad things that are going on and wonder, all right, God, how long until you finally do something? Don't you see what's going on in the world? Don't you see all the wickedness? Don't you see how bad things are getting? Aren't you going to do something about it? We even sing on our songbooks, you know. Here, they're prospering year after year, and we wonder why that's happening. We even have psalms that are in our, in our scriptures that talk about, look at the wicked and how well they're doing, and why are the righteous suffering? And here is this picture of God saying, just give it a minute. Just give it time. Judgment's going to come. Eventually, it's going to be given to the four winds because God does know what is happening. So the first three visions are God's judging the false. He's removing wickedness. He knows exactly what's going on and is going to bring that judgment because he's fully aware of the events that are going on on the earth. Now, as you come into the, the, the heart of what this is about in verses 9 through 15 of chapter 6, this section now explains how that's going to happen and who's going to do that. So watch now verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to me, take from the exiles Helda, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, take from them silver and gold, and make a crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Now, I want you just to stop right there and just get a sense of the strange thing that is just pictured right here. All right, so here comes these exiles. They apparently are bringing some of the resources from, from Persia. And God's message is, in verse 11, I want you to go get the silver and gold, and I want you to make a crown. And I want you then to take the crown after it's made and put it on the high priest. 
Now, already, if you are an Israelite, this is absolutely baffling because this is impossible. Priests cannot be kings. The reason why is all priests come from the tribe of Levi. All kings come from the tribe of Judah. So it is absolutely impossible under the Mosaic law for there to be a priest king. Can't happen. You can have a king. You can have a priest, but those are of different tribes. And to now go up to the high priest and put a crown on him would have just been like, okay, what's happening? That That's not right. That can't happen. Something strange is going on. Well, notice the proclamation that's given about that in verse 12. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. And so the crown shall be put in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Helim, Tobijah, Jediah, and him, son of Zephaniah. So notice the picture that's given there in those verses. Not only after giving an impossible picture, take a crown, put it on the high priest. The proclamation is also quite impossible. Here is this proclamation that, well, here's what's going to happen when the, the branch comes. He is going to be your king and as well be your priest. There is going to be a merging of these two offices that ever since the days of Moses stood in separation. They're now going to come together as one. But notice the oddity of what this is saying. Now, before I show it to you, why are Haggai and Zechariah even prophesying in the first place? except to get the people to build the temple, right? They've stopped doing the work. Ezra 5 says, God sends Haggai and Zechariah. You need to get back to work. You need to build the temple. And Zechariah is showing these prophecies and giving these visions to encourage the people to do that. But notice what you were told as they're being encouraged to continue to build the temple. In verse 13, you're told the branch is going to build the temple. Interesting. I thought you were telling us to build the temple. And now here is this prophecy that, no, when the branch comes, he's going to be king. He's going to be priest and he's going to build the temple of the Lord. And so you have this in this vision and in this prophecy, a whole new building project, a whole new temple plan is going to come along when the branch arrives. And I think what is so interesting about this is this gives you an understanding then of what Jesus is doing when he's walking around and he's talking to those religious leaders in Jerusalem. That he's not being strange or coy or throwing them a curveball when he starts telling them how he can build a temple. That's what was prophesied when the branch comes, priest and king merge together And that individual is going to build a temple. Remember this confusion in John chapter 2. As Jesus has now just cleansed the temple, run out the money changers. It says in chapter 2 in verse 18, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered and said, Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Notice the imagery here. Here's Jesus going, This temple, which, by the way, was Zerubbabel's temple that these guys here are going to build. 
Here is Jesus pointing to that temple and saying, tear that thing down and I'll rebuild one. The very thing that Zechariah was talking about is what I'm going to do. But notice they completely miss it and they say, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple. What they're talking about are the Herod renovations to the Zerubbabel temple that was built here. 46 years this has been going on and we've been refurbishing and doing all that. And you say you can rebuild this and raise it up in three days? And they didn't understand. And this is what Jesus is always running into when he's always saying, you don't understand the scriptures. They should have heard Jesus say, when I can build the temple that I'm talking about this right here. I'm the temple builder. I'm the one who's come to do what this whole text is talking about. And there is then a collision that's being brought about here is that when the branch comes, we talked about we're going to deal with those who are false. We're going to purge uncleanness. We're seeing a picture of judgment is coming across the four winds, this imagery of God sees and is going to judge his people. And that's all going to culminate when this branch figure arrives, who is going to be priest and king. The last point on the screen, just for the, I don't know, the extra pie in the, in the trivial pursuit wheel that nobody plays anymore. There's a reason why the writer of Hebrews has to spend an awful lot of time talking about for Jesus to be our high priest and king, there is by necessity must be a change of priesthood. And if there's a change of priesthood, there must be a change of covenant because Mosaic covenant had a priesthood out of Levi that could not merge with Judah. So therefore to have a new priesthood requires a new covenant. And that's what chapter seven and all of that's talking about right there. That's for free. And I think that's an important point though. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to get at why this is such a critical idea, because the prophets were talking this way about what Christ was going to do as he comes and is going to deal with wickedness. Now for the lesson though, tonight, I actually want to spend all the rest of our time on verse 15. Look at what it now says as this vision and prophecy concludes. Verse 15. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. What an interesting ending. And this is a picture that I have been so struck by to catch from time to time at the Old Testament shows. I'm going to show you some of those those particular places. But notice what is stated here in verse 15 when it says those who are far off are going to come and help. Now, if you're kind of in your New Testament to get a sense of who are always the far off in scriptures, The Gentiles are always the far off people. Israel are the people who are near because they have the covenant and the covenant promises. And it is always those who are called the far off, like in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, like in Ephesians chapter 2. Those who are far off are always the Gentiles. And here is this picture that when you have the enthronement of the branch as priest and king, There's going to be a new purpose that is given to his people, to his constituents in this kingdom. And the picture is they're going to help build his temple. Isn't that a weird image? 
Well, it's not that weird if you catch how the scriptures are always talking about that, about who we are in that. For example, notice Isaiah chapter 61. Now we know the beginning of this, and we usually stop where Jesus stops in Luke 4, and the quotation, when he unrolls the scroll in the synagogue and he reads this to the crowd, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Now, let's catch what's happening. Here is this picture of when the Messiah comes, the spirit of the Lord is going to be upon him and he's going to proclaim liberty and freedom. He's going to set everyone free, light into darkness. That's what those first three and first three and four verses are talking about. Of here's what the Messiah is going to do. And what that's going to do for us is this great blessing. Instead of ashes, we're going to have the headdress. Instead of mourning and oil of gladness, instead of a faint spirit, we're going to have the garment of praise. This reversal imagery that we've spent time on our Wednesday nights doing is being pictured here. When Christ comes, reversal is going to happen. But now watch what happens with this. That they, so that's us. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. If you were missing the context if you just jumped into what i highlighted you'd think it was talking about when they came back from captivity and they're rebuilding the walls rebuilding the temple and all of that but jesus quoting that and saying no the temple builder has arrived and i've brought cleansing and i am purging wickedness out and here's what's going to happen those who belong to me it's going to be gladness and praise and joy and they are going to build the ancient rooms they're going to restore the city there is this image of them being the temple builders them being the kingdom builders now paul used that in ephesians chapter 2 and verse 17 you might remember the lead into ephesians chapter 2 we've been saved by grace and what has been done for us you know god coming in and doing this great act even though we were sinners and notice it says and he came and preached peace to you who were Far off, there's our far away group again, there's the Gentiles. And peace to those who were near, here's your Israel. And through him we and through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. I intentionally put the pause right here in the text. We're usually on board with how this sets up. All right. Christ Jesus is the most important. He is the cornerstone. Everything is built upon him. Next picture, apostles and prophets. They're part of the foundation as well. Everything is built upon them equally. Now notice what happens after that. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also 
are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What's the dwelling place of God? The temple. No, so here's this picture that's given to us. And I think it's such a beautiful picture. Jesus, the cornerstone, most important piece, as the Apostle Paul argues, nothing can be built without him. It's not going to do any good. He's everything. Right behind it, here's the apostles and prophets who are the foundation. But now you see that Zechariah, Isaiah, and the Apostle Paul also say, it's not only that we are part of this temple, but that we are pictured as builders as well. You don't just simply belong. That's great. But here's another great purpose. You're part of the building process. You are also building up this great temple that God has in which is his dwelling place as it fills all of the earth. It's very similar to the pictures that we see over and over again. where We've talked about being made in the image of God. And as we are made in the image of God, we as these image bearers are spread throughout all the earth so that God is glorified. It is using that same kind of idea that what we are doing as the people of God cannot just simply be to be content with saying, well, I belong in God's kingdom and yea, I'm enjoying his privileges and enjoying his blessings and it's so great to be a part of it. And so therefore my work is done. These pictures are you belong and now you have a job to do. There is a work to be done. You are a part of the building process. You are a builder also. And Zechariah says it would be those who were afar off who would be the main contributors of building this temple up to God. And so Christ, the cornerstone, you have the apostles and prophets as a foundation. And here we are not only in that as spiritual stones like first Peter chapter two describes, but also building that kingdom and building that temple up. So here's the thing that I want to focus on then for our application then tonight. God is always trying to show us that our cleansing is supposed to give us purpose. That all of these pictures in chapter 5 were leading up to this grand finale. In fact, if you wanted to look there in Zechariah 7 verse 1, we've completely left all of these visions now. It's a radical change in the book at this point. And so these visions are all culminating on this key point. God is going to deal with the false. He's going to remove uncleanness and wickedness. He is going to judge the earth of the wickedness that is in it. And he sees all that is going on. And that's all going to happen through the branch because he is going to be the king priest who sits on the throne. And when he takes his seat on the throne, he expects his builders those who are afar off, to be building his temple with him. That there is a purpose that is given to us in the work. And so that's why the front screen of the lesson was, are you building God's temple? Or if I could say it another way, are we fulfilling our purpose? Are we fulfilling our calling? I think one of the difficulties that we can face in 21st century American Christianity 
is that there is such an emphasis on the individual entering and receiving salvation as if now you have crossed the finish line because you're saved, good for you, you're all you're going to be fine and not see that that cleansing and that reversal actually is the start of being a builder for God's temple. That now you have been given the purpose. You have been tasked with, a, with, a, with a, an important purpose to go and to build his temple, to be lights in the world, to be salt, to keep the calling that is given to us. This explains how Haggai is coming along and think about his message of Haggai 1 that we talked about a few months ago where Haggai says, so you're concerned about your paneled houses, but what about God's temple? Yep, you've got your house in order, but what does God's temple look like? And Zacharias seems to seize on that imagery and says, yes, don't you see that you are temple builders, that you are in the process of building the kingdom of God as it spreads throughout all of the earth. And so our spiritual worship and our spiritual sacrifices are performed by proclaiming God's glory and living honorably throughout all the earth. And that we must live our lives and say words in such a way that represents that we are temple builders, that we are builders of this great temple that God has given to us. And one final point then for tonight. There must be a great motivation and a great intensity for this work. The first three visions are, I'm going to remove what is false. I'm going to take out all the uncleanness. I see all the sins and all the evil and all the wickedness that is going on. And if we're temple builders, then there is great intensity to build that before judgment comes. If we understand the warning that no one is getting away from this judgment and that God is going to purge it through the land and all will stand before him and every knee will bow and everyone must give an account for all the deeds that they've done, then there becomes a great intensity that we must be temple builders quickly Before that judgment comes, that we cannot be content in just our own salvation or even just content in the, hey, there's a hundred people here. We all like each other. Isn't that great? You know, good for us. We're all doing the great high fives. That there is an intensity that we have to keep reaching out. We have to keep telling more. We have to tell more of our neighbors, more of our friends, more of our coworkers, more of our acquaintances, because that is our purpose. That's why we're here. We're temple builders. And to just instill that kind of thinking into our mind. That's why we're here. We're here to bear his image so that people will see God and they will come and enjoy the same reversal of fortune that we have enjoyed as God's people as well. That there would be an intensity to the work. And I love how verse 15 just gives us this picture. When Christ comes and makes you in charge of this work and gives you this great task of being a temple builder, you have received your purpose. Verse 15, you shall know the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. That's the third time you have this 
strange picture of somebody talking to the Lord and the Lord has sent him to you. And we talked about that earlier, an image of Christ. Christ has come. He's tasked you with the job. Are you building the temple for God? Let's go to God in prayer this evening. (coughs) Heavenly Father, (coughs) Lord, I believe it is absolutely exciting to see that you have given us such an important task and a great purpose that we also are supposed to be your ambassadors and that we also are supposed to be people who are reaching out and telling the world that salvation has come today. And Lord, I pray that you would remove the fears that we often allow to get into our way that keep us from building the temple in the way that you want us to. Pray, Lord, that you would give us a courage and a strength to not be concerned about the glory of people, but simply your glory. And Lord, I pray that often the other thing that keeps us from being your temple builders is because we're too content here. And God, I pray that you'd forgive us for being content in this world. And Lord, that you would stir us up and truly light us on fire in a way to be zealous for you and zealous for the work that you've given us. Lord, help us to see the intensity of the work. And Lord, we pray that we could be appropriate temple builders as we shine as lights and act as salt in the world around us. Help us in our efforts this very day. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll sing an invitation song now and invite you to come to the purpose. You wanted to know why you're here. One of the important reasons you're here is to build a temple to the living God. We certainly want you to enjoy what God has to offer, not only in his blessings, but also in his purpose. If you come to him tonight, turn away from your sins, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. You can have purpose too. Won't you come and do that now while we stand?